Hey everyone, welcome into the Fantasy Pros Football Podcast. I'm Bobby Sylvester, joined as always by Mike Teglier, and we're going to be talking about our guys this episode, and we're joined by one of the most accurate analysts in the industry. It's Justin Boone of The Score. He's been in the top 10 most accurate experts out of 150, six of the last seven seasons. We're all on Twitter at Bobby Fantasy Pro, at Mike Teglier NFL, and Justin's at his name, Justin Boone. Justin, thanks for coming to the show. How's it going? It's going great. It's uh, Tags and I were talking before you jumped in there. It's a very, very busy time of year, obviously, for all of us, but it's super exciting. Still got a bunch of drafts over the next week, so really pumped for all of that and for the season to finally start. We're like a week away here. Absolutely. We are getting so close. And as I mentioned, we're going to be talking about our must-have players. So, Justin, you're going to give us 10 of them. Tags and I are going to combine to make our list of 10. That's going to be really fun. First, I want to tell you, though, about our Chrome extension, which is going to help you hopefully win a championship this season. So I've already mentioned how you can use the Chrome extension when you're doing your drafts on Yahoo Sports or NFL.com or ESPN. Basically, you can get all of the draft wizard information right on the same screen. So you don't have to go from tab to tab and figure out what the experts are recommending through draft wizard. You can just have your draft open on Yahoo, NFL, and ESPN, but it doesn't stop with your draft. Like say you're already done drafting. Okay, you don't need the Chrome extension anymore, right? Wrong. You can use it in season as well. We've got special My Playbook features built right into it as well so that you can get that expert analysis while you're surfing for the best waiver wire pickups, start suit decisions, and everything along those lines. I love using it just because it saves so much time. I don't have to go from tab to tab and figure out what's going on. It's all on the same screen there for me. So if you're doing a draft, you can get expert player suggestions directly within your draft room. You can have your personal cheat sheets viewable inside your draft room as well, drafting directly from our draft assistant via the Chrome extension. All of this is available with our Hall of Fame package, which we have a special $10 offer for at fantasypros.com offers. All you have to do is go to fantasypros.com offers and make a $10 deposit. And you can actually win real money with that $10 too, so it's basically free at one of our partner DFS sites, and you'll get six months of our Hall of Fame package, which is a $65 value. Claim this offer and go premium today at fantasypros.com offers. And this offer is only available for new Yahoo DFS, Monkey Knife Fight, DraftKings, or FanDuel users. All right, guys, so we don't really have any news to get into, and Justin, what we're going to do is we're going to count it down. So you're going to start up at number 10, and don't steal our guys. I'll start with the the lowest of the low here. This guy is someone who, it surprises me that everyone is very excited about all these second-year receivers, and then there's a couple guys that are kind of, you know, sneaking around there that no one's really talking about. So the first guy I want to mention is Traquan Smith. He's going in like the 16th round, basically undrafted but he's someone that I want to grab with one of my last picks here I saw someone recently suggest that he's kind of like Marquez Valdez Scantling but without the hype this season right and I think there really might be something to that he's another second year guy who has that deep speed high draft pick third rounder flashed as a rookie had a couple hundred yard games including a three for 111 and two touchdowns against the Redskins 10 for 157 and a touchdown against the Eagles. And I get it was a small sample size as a rookie. He lost a lot of playing time to Ted Ginn when Ted Ginn was healthy because the veteran got to play over him. It's understandable. Wide receivers, a position where often these guys take a little bit of time. It used to be what the, the third year receivers were the ones that broke out. So we can't always expect to see the rookies put up these big seasons, but even in that small sample size, Player profiler had Smith finishing third in quarterback rating when targeted last season, eighth in fantasy points per target. So there's a lot to hang your hat on, a lot of exciting things about him. And then you talk about the playing time, the usage here. 
Tedkin's a little older now. He's 34. Smith is just 23. And maybe that won't even matter, actually. I thought they were both competing for kind of the same role in the offense. But in the preseason, they've played both of them with Michael Thomas in three wide sets at times. So that's also really interesting for a young player that, in my mind, has a lot of upside. I won't be surprised if he emerges as a really deep fantasy option this season in New Orleans. And I think I want to have him on the end of my bench just to see if he breaks out earlier in the year. So guys, while we're doing the show, we're going to be talking about ECR and ADP. If you want to follow along, it's at fantasypros.com slash rankings. And ECR stands for expert consensus ranking. So I mentioned that we have, you know, 150 analysts competing for the most accurate title. Right now, we've got 127 of them in the system. That's going to keep going up as we get closer to, uh, to the start of the NFL season. So we mash all those together to give you the consensus rankings around the industry from analysts who do this for a living. And so right now I'm looking at Traquan Smith, and this is really interesting. His ECR is 150 overall, so wide receiver 59. His ADP is 37 spots behind that. ADP, of course, is average draft position. So he's going three rounds later in drafts than the analysts in the industry say that he should be going. And that's pretty telling when you've got a group of 100-plus analysts who say, hey, this guy's three rounds better than the general public thinks he is. Yeah, I mean, it's more, I think this one's about risk or reward, where it's like, you know, why are you drafting boring guys like a Zay Jones or something like that? Guys guys that you're like legitimately like Kenny Stills, like these are not guys that you're going to trust. Hopefully they're a wide receiver four, right? Like who cares? <laughs> yeah, like those are guys that are never going to make their way into your starting lineup. There's nothing that can happen. There's no injuries that could happen that would make you like literally feel good about putting them in your lineup. So why wouldn't we be taking someone like a Traquan Smith who's attached to Drew Brees? And if something were to happen to Michael Thomas, obviously that vaults him into the starting lineup. They felt really good about him. I mean, they, they drafted him a lot higher than I think pe- most people expected him to. And he did flash last year. There was some inconsistency, but uh, definitely in the late rounds, he's one of those guys that I would I would be more than okay having on my bench. So here's a couple guys being drafted ahead of him. Debo Samuel. Uh, he's like fourth on the depth chart right now for Jimmy Garoppolo. Who knows the San Francisco depth chart right now? Right. Yeah. A uh, Hardman for Kansas City. I, I get nope. the idea that there's upside there, but like he's not playing over Tyreek Hill or Sammy Watkins. He might get a touchdown here or there, but when are you when you use him, it's going to be like Traquan Smith last year. Traquan Smith's actually going to be on the field from the start of the season. Um, now, here's my issue with Traquan Smith is Drew Brees didn't even throw for over 4,000 passing yards last year because they hardly passed the ball at all. Do you think that changes this year, Justin? I still think it's going to be low. So no, I don't think it's going to be that much higher, but I don't think Traquan's a guy that's going to need a, a ton of targets to produce here. And I'm not suggesting that he's going to go out and have a thousand yard season or anything like that, right? I think he could come in here and have uh, 800 yards, maybe, you know, score five or six touchdowns. I think that would be a huge win for where you're getting him in the draft this year. And if you look at, there's just not that many weapons outside of Michael Thomas and Alvin Kamara. We really don't know who else is going to get the ball there. I think Jared Cook's going to have a role this season, but there's really not much else in that receiving core to hang your hat on. Sure. Tags, where do you have Traquan Smith ranked? Traquan Smith is uh he's a top sixty wide receiver for me, and it really this is where it kind of all depends on how you're drafting and what you're looking for in a player. Again, if you're looking for some like if you're playing in a deeper league and you need someone to contribute like every week, you're gonna you're gonna draft different players. You're gonna actually look to guys like Danny Amendola or maybe even like a Cole Beasley who's gonna they're gonna rack up some receptions here and there. But if you're looking to like put some upside on your bench and like you're in you know a regular twelve man league where you start three wide receivers. 
I don't find a reason to draft those other guys, whereas Traquan is like that high upside guy. So I have him right alongside Ted Ginn just because it seems right now that Ginn's ahead of him on the depth chart. That might change over time, whereas Ginn is someone that I think will give you something when the season starts, but Traquan is the clear higher upside player. So it just depends on what you're looking for. He's alongside guys uh, like a Tyrell Williams. You know, a lot of people have talked about him alongside like someone like a John Brown. Uh, but again, I would have no issue taking Traquan over all those guys just because a lot of them are attached to bad quarterback situations. So a lot of people are excited about Nikhil Harry. Apparently his ECR is wide receiver 63, his ADP wide receiver 54. So the public is much higher than the analysts on Nikhil Harry. I'm assuming Justin that you're taking uh, Traquan Smith over Nikhil Harry. Yeah, I'm not sure that I see much reason to take Harry at all for this year. Like in Dynasty, for sure, obviously. But but this season with Josh Gordon coming back, as soon as that news hit, Nikhil Harry's value had to drop significantly. And then also we're hearing, you know, his camp wasn't that great. He's dealt with some injuries. So we really don't know where he stands. I wouldn't be shocked if Philip Dorsett plays over Harry for a while this season, potentially, just because Dorsett's talked about how he has that relationship with Brady. You know, some of those decisions that you have to make in that New England offense where we've seen even in the preseason where like when Jacoby Myers got out there with Brady and he's just making the wrong decision on these routes, whereas someone like Philip Dorsett's now been there for a couple of years and he has more of a mind meld, if you want to say, with Brady. So I'm not going anywhere near Nikhil Harry in redraft. I would agree with that. Okay, so Tags, you get to pick the even numbers because I want the number one pick for our top 10 list. So who are you going with at number 10? And it better not be someone I disagree with because this is our list. I'm going to go with Geronimo Allison here. Uh, I'm cool with that. Nice. Yeah, we, we talked a little bit about Marquez Valdez-Scantling and Geronimo Allison on the show yesterday uh, with Jim Sanis. And I, I mean, I don't need to go too deep into this, but it kind of reminds me of a situation last year where it's like, I'm not saying you're getting him as cheap as you got Tyler Boyd, but it could very well be a situation where it's like Devontae Adams is going to be a stud and that's fine. AJ Green's a stud, but Tyler, there was enough room for Tyler Boyd to produce there. Uh, Geronimo Allison is a guy that has just so much chemistry with Aaron Rodgers. Again, there, so there's been 10 games in his career that he's played with Aaron Rodgers and been targeted at least three times because we don't want to count the games where he was back up, um, you know, getting one target. You can't do anything with one target. But in the games that he's been out there with Rodgers, he's averaged uh, over four catches per game, 65 yards and a touchdown um, every two games, basically. It amounts to a lot, about 11 half PPR points per game, which would have been the wide receiver 27 last year. And coincidentally, before he suffered his season-ending injury, he was the wide receiver 26 last year. So, Justin, where are you out on Allison? Are you someone that believes Valdez-Scantling should go first? Do you have them in the same tier? How do you feel about them? I mean, as soon as you said his name there, I reacted pretty positively because, yeah, I'm I'm much more excited about Allison. I think they're both definitely worth drafting, and we want to see how this develops. But if I had to pick between the two, I'm going with Allison for sure with how hot that start was last season and potentially we could be talking about him as a breakout guy from 2018 if he didn't get hurt right just at the pace he was playing on at that point so I'm very excited to get him where I can and unfortunately I haven't been able to get him any places so far he's been going higher in drafts than I expected I thought he was going to be a little more of a sleeper and it seems like people are listening to us you mentioned that pace, and I just want to say the numbers here. He was on track for 76 receptions, 1,156 yards, eight touchdowns. Now, granted, it was a smaller sample size, four games. But, um, you know, what? I also want to say this. If Marquez Valdez-Scantling had been the guy who ended up in that Jordy Nelson big slot, he would have been my preference of the two. I think he's more athletic than Allison, but we saw last year that Rodgers is comfortable throwing to him. 29 targets in four games. That's a pretty big deal, guys. Mm-hmm. Rodgers loves him. So, Tags, where, where do you have him ranked then? 
Geronimo Allison, I have way up the board. Uh, he's someone that I have at wide receiver 39. So a little bit higher than me. I'm wide receiver 43 in PPR. Yeah, it's that same tier, though. Like, my tier goes from 36 to 44. So if you were to tell me 36 or you were to tell me 44, I would get it. Uh, but Allison, I'm a bit more bullish on him. Like, is there an argument to take Geronimo Allison over someone like Christian Kirk? Um, right now I've got him over Kirk just because I'm not sure what Arizona is doing with him playing 40% of the snaps so far this preseason with the first team. I think Kirk has, I, I won't say more upside, but originally I thought that he was going to be a vital piece of this offense that's going to be running a ton of plays. But at this point, there's too many question marks that I've got Allison 36. I've got Kirk 43. Justin, where do you have these guys? I have Kirk at 34 and then I have Allison at 43. I think with Kirk, the the upside there for me with him and the reason I would go with him is because he still has a chance to be the number one option in that offense where Allison is going to be behind Adams playing next to a guy in Adams that is going to get a ton of touchdowns. So that just bumps him down a little bit, sort of lowers his ceiling where Kirk looked really strong last season. And if that offense is what we think it could be, uh, has a much higher ceiling in my my opinion. Yeah, there's a little bit of positive unknown in Kirk in that he might be the most impressive talent on this Cardinals roster. But Larry Fitzgerald's been on the field for 100% of the first team snaps. I think he's still the guy. I thought you were going to say for 100 years. I didn't think. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Justin, we're going to get to your number nine here in just a moment. But first, I want to tell you guys about an opportunity with NFL Game Pass. Only with NFL Game Pass can you replay every game all season long. You can relive all the gutsy calls, crazy catches, wild comebacks, and breakout stars from every game every week. It's all the action, all the football you can handle, all in one place. I'm most excited to rewatch Preston Williams, that kid from the Miami Dolphins this weekend. He just really looks like the real deal. And granted, it's not a very good offense, but I'm excited to see what he's going to be in the future. And with NFL Game Pass, I can either replay the full broadcast version of the game or the entire game in only 45 minutes with condensed games. If you haven't watched a condensed game yet, you have to try it out. It's every play from the game, back to back to back, so you can replay an entire NFL game in the fraction of the time it normally takes. It's how I'm able to follow all the MVP candidates, all the breakout stars, and all my waiver wire pickups all season long. Can Patrick Mahomes put up another MVP caliber season? Maybe the Browns have what it takes to be a Super Bowl contender. Is Carson Wentz going to be healthy this year and lead the Eagles back to the top of the NFC? To see all the action this season and stay on top of all the big storylines, you need NFL Game Pass. And best of all, you can kick off the 2019 NFL season with a seven-day free trial of NFL Game Pass. Sign up now at NFL.com slash Fantasy Pros. All right, Justin, so who do you have at number nine or uh, however you want to do this? Moving up the list for you. All right, I'm, I'm going to bounce around a little bit because I sort of did them in order of round, but I'm, I'm going to bounce around. The next one for me is Dante Moncrief, and it's all about finding a replacement for Antonio Brown there. 168 targets, I think it was last season, that that are vacated. No one's going to fill those shoes. We, we know that for sure. Moncrief is the one who's going to get the first shot at this, though. If he can, he's going to play second fiddle to Juju. James Washington flashed in the preseason. That's undeniable. But he didn't get the starter treatment that Moncrief was getting where Moncrief was, you know, getting to to miss games. Moncrief was out there with the starters and his nights were ending a lot earlier than James Washington was. So it's pretty clear that Moncrief's ahead of him on the depth chart right now. And one of the reasons to take a shot on him here is the price tag. There's just so little risk to get him in the 10th round with what he could be. The potential that we've seen from him in the past in this offense I think his upside is, is extremely high. I mean, he had 13 touchdowns. If you go back to his time with the Colts, 2015, 2016, had 13 total touchdowns over those two years. And then even last year in Jacksonville, 
catching passes from Blake Bortles, who we obviously think is going to be a pretty significant upgrade going to Ben Roethlisberger this year, but even catching passes from Bortles, there was a seven-week stretch where he was a top 30 fantasy receiver last season. So that included stat lines. I mean, five for 109 and a touchdown, six for 76, seven for 76, four for 54, three for 98 and a touchdown. So those are pretty good numbers in that Jaguars offense for a receiver. So getting that upgrade at quarterback, I, another guy here, some of these late receivers that have this really high upside, I just want to have them on my bench early in the season to see how it plays out. And if it doesn't work out and Moncrief actually fumbles it away, like he did on that one play early in the preseason, uh, then you can just let him go and go find someone else that has upside. But at that 10th round price tag, he's just so cheap that why wouldn't you try to get that potential second receiver in that Steelers offense? Third straight wide receiver. We've talked about third straight wide receiver that the ECR values above ADP. He's at 118 overall in ECR. So, you know, late 10th round, as Justin was talking about, he's going in the late 11th round in drafts. And so I think this is a value. I've got him at wide receiver 47. He's at wide receiver 49. I don't have many shares because there's a couple guys, Anthony Miller, that I like in this range a lot more. Now, Tags, how do you feel about Dante Moncrief? Do we have our first disagreement here? Well, call me uh, as someone who believes that James Washington more. Uh, Dante Moncrief, I mean, I think that it says something when you find a player who's on his third team in three years. I, I mean, I was a Moncrief guy. I felt like he was better than people thought he was, but now it's like it's got it's gotten to the point now where it's like okay you've been passed around enough where people understand what he is in the league and they don't you don't let superstars go so I don't think Dante Moncrief is a superstar and I think that they might have a, a superstar in James Washington he's a phenomenal ball tracker he lost 15 pounds this offseason because he felt like he, he didn't have enough deep speed to get over the top in the NFL as he did at Oklahoma State so like James Washington is showing it and they're saying in practice over and over this kid like legitimately has it it's just get it to translate to the games and he's done it in the preseason so it's like was it a matter of like stage fright yeah, I don't know what it was, but I think I would probably go Washington. This reminds me of like a Ted Ginn, Traquan Smith thing where it's like, do I want the guy that I feel like is a safer bet to perform, which is Moncrief, or do I want the guy that has a potential to be a top 30 option every week? And I think that's James Washington. So I'm going to take the Washington side. I don't blame you for Moncrief. It just depends on what you're drafting for. It's also a situation where if you know, you're know you thin at receiver, you're looking for that wide receiver three you could really just take both of them at that point in the draft. You're not you're not investing that much to get both guys, and then you're almost guaranteed that one of them will step up, unless, of course, we see a monster season from Vance McDonald, and then Deontay Johnson steps up, and you end up completely losing both. But at the cost, even if that happened, it wouldn't be that bad for you. I think it's also worth mentioning, I mean, the Steelers threw the ball 675 times last year. Obviously, Juju is their number one. What if something happens to Juju? What is Dante Moncrief's upside? What is James Washington's upside? It's interesting because I haven't heard anyone actually throw that out there. I mean, obviously injuries. I mean, it's like what, 10, 15% chance? Yeah. But no one's talked about the fact that if Juju went down, what would happen in this offense? And that's that's really interesting. I mean, both of them. It'd be really bad, I think. <laughs> it probably would be very bad. I mean, I think Ben's going to regress a little bit this year without Antonio Brown. I just, you can't take away a talent like that from an offense and then expect that everything's going to be okay. So we have to think that the efficiency, you know, the scoring opportunities, all that stuff's going to come back a little bit for that passing game. But yeah, if, if Juju went down, both these guys would be very valuable. 
So, you know, I thought about going with a wide receiver here just because uh, my top four guys are all running backs. But since you guys started out with three wide receivers, I'm not going to say Corey Davis. He's just outside for me. Tags, I'm not going to say Tony Pollard. We already got got into that uh, two episodes ago, like extensively, like eight, ten minute argument there. So I'm going to go with uh, my guy, my preferred tight end. You know, that's if I can't, if I'm not picking at the turn and I can get Travis Kelsey in the early second round. I'm falling back on Hunter Henry. I would reach for him in the fifth round. I feel like he's the end of that tier. And I absolutely love what Hunter Henry's done in his short sample size in the league. 115 targets. And he did that over two years because of injuries, because he was behind uh, Antonio Gates, obviously. But in that time, he was more efficient than Zach Ertz, Travis Kelsey, even Rob Gronkowski for his career. Hunter Henry has been historically historically efficient. I think he's got a chance to be a superstar, even with splitting the targets with Keenan Allen, who's a little bit banged up already, and Mike Williams. I think Hunter Henry is going to be a safe play with lots of upside. I'd love to grab him in the fifth round. Justin, how do you feel about him? I really like that tier for me of I have Evan Ingram and Hunter Henry and even Jared Cook in a tier together right around that range. I would prefer to get one of them, you know, in the the sixth, maybe if I could, or, or into the seventh, but um, yeah, I, I like all of them. And if I miss out on the top guys for me, I'm willing to take Kelsey and Kittle in the second into the third this year. If I miss out on them, uh, I'll talk about a tight end that I really like in a little bit that I've been getting a lot of places. But that that tier of those three guys for me is a spot that I've landed quite often. Really like Henry. I do think he's going to be a little touchdown dependent, but from what we've seen, I think he's going to be able to put those touchdowns up even with someone like Mike Williams there now who, you know, similar kind of guy that he's going to be around the red zone, be able to to come down with the ball quite often there. So, yes, Henry is high on my list of tight ends this year, and I have him at, at tight end six. All right, so you've got him at tight end six. That's where ECR has Hunter Henry as well. I've got him all the way up at tight end five, just behind OJ Howard. Um, Now, you mentioned Jared Cook. We haven't had anyone come on and say, uh, you know, be pro Jared Cook. So I want to pick your brain on that before we move on to tags with Hunter Henry. I'm just a little bit worried that, you know, he's coming from an offense where Jordy Nelson was the number one. Marcel Aitman was the number two. They're passing the ball to Jalen Richard. He was number three in that offense, but they had Jared Cook. Now he's going to New Orleans. They don't pass the ball anywhere near as much. In fact, a hundred fewer times. And they've got Michael Thomas there. They've got Alvin Kamara there. I know that Drew Brees has been good with tight ends before, but I think this is a different situation than back in the day when they had Jimmy Graham and uh, and Benjamin Watson. Yeah, I mean, I think he is the best tight end they've had since those guys. I would say all the way to Graham. I mean, Watson did have that one good year for fantasy in there. But I think with, with Cook, for me, he's not going to get the same volume. That's for sure. He's not going to get over 100 targets. There's no chance. What it is for me is the uh, efficiency is going to go up playing with Breeze. I mean, we saw, I remember when Ted Ginn signed with the Saints and he made a comment about how he specifically chose the Saints because Drew Breeze was going to extend his career. And it happened. The last couple seasons with the Saints have been decent for Ted Ginn, barring the the injuries he had last year. So I think Cook's going to have a similar thing where he goes there. The volume might not be there, but the scoring opportunities will be. As excited as Sean Payton has been about this, as soon as they signed him, uh, Sean Payton was talking about how he had plays designed for him, that they were going to break out, and that they were just so pumped to have him. And he actually suggested that Jared Cook could end up being the sort of de facto second receiver in that offense, which might hurt my Traquan Smith shares that I have at the end of the draft. But that is a possibility here where we end up with a situation where almost like we had with Eric Ebron last year with the Colts, where Jared Cook steps in and all of a sudden he's the one catching all these touchdowns while the attention's going elsewhere. And he might not have, you know, he's not gonna have a thousand yards or anything like that, 
but a double-digit touchdown season could be in the cards for him. All right, so Tags, Justin mentioned he's got Hunter Henry at tight end six. Where do you have him, and where do you have Jared Cook? So Jared Cook, I have down at tight end ten. Like I don't want to, I don't want to forget the fact that he played with Aaron Rodgers, and he, I mean, he was whatever. So you're taking Austin Hooper and Vance McDonald over him, I'm assuming. Yes, I would take both those guys. I'd take Njoku. And I've got Trey Burton right there neck and neck with Jared Cook. Yeah, I'd take Njoku over him too. Um, the thing is, is like, you know, Justin mentioned about the targets. He's not getting 100 targets. And he's a guy that legitimately, he's been targeted over his career. Like he's seen at least 75 targets, I think five or six different times. And he has never scored more than six touchdowns. Last year was the first year he scored more than five. Like the guy just, I mean, he has like one or two years over 600 yards. Like it's, it's kind of ridiculous how inefficient he's been. I know people waited for so long for Jared Cook to break out. And now going to Drew Brees, it's like, oh, you know, Drew Brees, like what he did with Jimmy Graham. And I'm like, Jimmy Graham's a basketball player. Jared Cook is soft. Like he's not, he's, he's not a jump ball receiver. Like, he, like tell me last time you saw Jared Cook, like sky over a player and actually just take the ball from him. That's what Jimmy Graham did. So I don't see that. Like Jared Cook's going to be fine as like a back end tight end one that he's going to finish with top 10 numbers just because of the nature of the position if he stays healthy, but I'm not going to go out of my way to draft him in regards to Hunter Henry. I have him a tight end six and uh, I'm not drafting him anywhere because I'm getting OJ Howard in the fifth. And if I wait until the sixth, Henry, uh, Henry's not usually there. And I have Evan Ingram ahead of him too. So it's like, I feel like Evan Ingram is a little bit safer, whereas Henry might have some more upside. But I will say this. If Melvin Gordon does in fact hold out through, and he's not going to play week one, I might move Henry to tight end five just because like some of those running back targets will will funnel to the tight end position and we could see him targeted a bit more. But if Melvin Gordon shows up, he's definitely, definitely my tight end six. All right, Justin, let's keep moving on with your pick. Well, a nice segue here because Tags mentioned him, and I'll say him now. It's O.J. Howard. Yeah, buddy. I want O.J. Howard everywhere I can get him. And maybe this is a guy who could be in the conversation next year as part of that elite tier. That's really the upside that he has. That's his ceiling. He could even be the number one tight end. It's possible. Like, he could unseat Kelsey. Kelsey's getting older it could happen when you look back at last year, had the six most fantasy points before he hit injured reserve in week 11, it was on pace for 900 yards, eight touchdowns last season, had he played the whole year. He had the second highest all-round grade from pro football focus for a tight end. And guess who he was right in between? George Kittle and Travis Kelsey on that list, right? Right up there at the top. Even going back to his rookie year, if you want to talk about that, I mean, a season where we normally don't see young players do much for fantasy. We don't see young tight ends really produce in their first season. And yet for him, he was splitting time with Cameron Brake during that year. And he still put up five games with 50 yards or more, had six touchdowns in that season, was just extremely productive on the touches and the targets he was getting. So nothing that we've seen from him so far should discourage fantasy owners at all in my mind. And I think I really like there was a stat from Ian Harditz that I thought was very interesting. Ian Harditz of Roto World now, right? He just uh, recently joined them. But earlier this offseason, he tweeted out about Howard's rookie year that he was on the list of 15 tight ends who have averaged eight yards per target in their first season, dating back to the year 2000. And it was a really impressive list of names. I'm not going to list them all here, but it was a very impressive list of names that he was on there. And he was over 11. Yeah, and he's he's kept that up, right? He had the second best average depth of target uh, among tight ends the last two years. The only guy that beat him those two seasons in each of the two seasons was Gronk. So everything that he's doing here is putting him in this elite company. 
And even if you want to look at who was third on that list, Howard was a full yard ahead of the third place tight end on that list, right? So it's just really exciting. Cam Brate's going to take a back seat here. Deshaun Jackson and Adam Humphreys are gone now. That should bump up Howard's target share. He was around 11%, I believe, last year. That should get bumped up. We're talking about, you know, de facto second receivers and stuff. He's the third receiver in that offense. I'm not that excited about Brashad Perriman or Justin Watson. It's not even close. Yeah, Howard is going to be the number three option. There's not even really a running back there that's going to be able to take many targets away, right? So he's locked in as my tight end four. And the odd part of that is that I still think there's a ton of upside when you get him in the fifth just because he could enter that elite tier in my mind. I mentioned how efficient Hunter Henry's been. O.J. Howard blows him away in every category except for receptions. Um, he has been extraordinarily efficient. I, I think that there's more competition for targets with Mike Evans and Chris Godwin compared to Keenan Allen and Mike Williams, but it's fairly close. Um, I would take O.J. Howard over Hunter Henry. I've just been seeing him slip into the fourth round, and that's a bummer when it happens. So I've got to get the end of that tight end tier before it gets too late for me. All right, before we get to tag second one, I want to tell you about the best place to play best ball. Fantasy football fans, listen up. We've got the biggest NFL season long tournament ever on draft. If you love fantasy football, we know you do. You need to enter this $3.5 million best ball championship on draft. That's right. $3.5 million in real money. It is freaking huge. Here's how best ball works. It's season long, but with no management, you just set it and forget it. Once you're done drafting, that's it. No trades, no waiver wire. You don't even have to set your lineup. You get the best players automatically started each week. You'll get your best score every week. Guaranteed. No salary caps. You play in a real live snake draft, just like the ones you do in your season long leagues. There's no better place to play, and you can draft a team anytime you want. Leagues start every couple minutes, so you can join one right now. Just do a draft. You could be a millionaire 16 weeks later. It doesn't get any easier than that. So join me on Draft today where there is tons of strategy in these best ball leagues. Download the app anytime. Just search Draft in the app or Play Store and join a game in minutes. Or play right from your computer on Draft.com, whatever you want. For a limited time only, you can get a free entry into the best ball championship when you make your first deposit. But you have to use my promo code, FANTASYPROS, all one word. That's right, a free shot at a million dollars just by using my promo code, FANTASYPROS, when you make your first deposit on Draft. Just search Draft in the app or Play Store. Or go to draft.com and come play free with promo code FANTASYPROS. Uh, Tags, let's move on to your next one. This is our number eight overall. Yep. I mean, OJ Howard was definitely on my list, so I'll, I'll pivot to someone else. And I will talk about Alshon Jeffrey as someone that is, again, just un- undervalued. And, uh, you know, he's one of those names that's been popping out there as someone that's maybe available in a trade because, you know, J.J. Ortega-Whiteside and how he, he kind of popped off in the preseason and knowing that, you know, they have Alshon Jeffrey and they have Nelson Aguilar. I don't know if I, I believe the Alshon Jeffrey trade rumors, uh, but if he did, obviously it would be to a team that needed him and he would get targeted like he should as a number one receiver. And if he stayed in Philadelphia he's going to get targeted like he should as a number one receiver uh, because there's nobody on that team that's even close to him talent wise Um, Ortega Whiteside was not someone coming out that people like projected as a first rounder or anything like he's he's limited in terms of what he can do but he's an excellent red zone threat so Alshon Jeffrey is already that guy he's shown the ability to do it to take on the number one wide receiver role he's been in, in Philadelphia two years he finishes the wide receiver 18 in 2017 and the wide receiver 26 last year despite missing three games and playing with a backup quarterback half the year I know he's not sexy he's not like oh my god I'm looking for this guy to break out but Alshon Jeffrey should go ahead of DJ Moore in every single draft oh yeah I totally agree with that tags we don't have any disagreements on our list so far so right now Alshon Jeffrey wide receiver 26 in ECR I've got him up at wide receiver 18 and it's not that you know, I, I, I'm willing to go reach for him. I'm not that excited about him. I just look at all the other guys on the list. 
Calvin Ridley, Kenny Galladay, Allen Robinson, T.Y. Hilton, Tyler Lockett, Tyler Boyd, DJ Moore, as you mentioned. I take him over all those guys. I, I second that. Boone, where are you at on him? Guys, I can't agree with this one. I, oh, let's hear it. Listen, I don't mind him as a, a fringe wide receiver, too. Uh, I'm fine with that. I just, with all those guys that have so much upside in that range, you want to talk about the, the Robbie Andersons and the Mike Williams and Calvin Ridley, all these guys that have the the ceilings that we're not even really sure what they are yet. I'm willing to take a chance on that over Alshon Jeffrey, who my concern in that Eagles offense, I think they're going to be fantastic this year. My concern is how they're going to distribute all these targets to everybody. And, you know, how guys like uh, Arcega Whiteside and uh, Deshaun Jackson and Dallas Goddard are going to get involved this season and take a little bit away when you're talking about red zone targets. It's one of the reasons why I'm also a little worried about Zach Ertz. I still have him as my tight end three, but I think there's a good chance we see Ertz go back to what we saw from him early in his career when he was getting like, you know, four touchdowns a season. And that was sort of the knock on him that he wasn't really scoring that much. The last couple of years, that's bumped up to eight touchdowns each year. But this year, I'm a little worried that we're not going to see Alshon Jeffrey get as many looks in the red zone because they're going to have packages where they're bringing in, you know, JJ Arcega Whiteside or these other guys where we're going to see a little more from that backfield than we've seen at least last season where nobody really stepped up. All those guys had a shot and there wasn't really anyone after JJ went down that could step up in that backfield. Now you have to think that Miles Sanders, Jordan Howard, they're going to be able to piece something together. Darren Sproles coming back there. So uh, I don't mind. Uh, Jeffrey in the middle rounds there, you know, just to get him, I would, if I'm going to get him, I want him as my wide receiver three, I guess, just so I'm getting a part of that Eagles offense, but I want the guys with the the upside in that range and DJ Moore for me, I think DJ Moore, when you look at what he can do as a receiver and then also what he can do as a runner, they got him the ball and allowed him to have some carries last year. And he put up almost 200 yards. I believe it was uh, just on the ground as well. So For a guy like Jeffrey, who hasn't reached a thousand yards for, I think it's like five or six seasons. I think it was like 2014 was the last year that he he cracked that. And I know it's like an arbitrary number, a thousand yards, who cares? But I don't even know if he's cracked 900 yards in like the last like five years or so. So I don't know. With with Jeffrey, I just don't see the upside. I don't think we're ever going to see, you know, another, you know, 1200 1400 yard season from him like we saw those early years in Chicago I'm fine with that I mean we don't need 1200 yards if he's scoring eight nine ten touchdowns which is what we've seen I mean even if you take out those two years where he eclipsed a thousand yards his per 16 game average in the last four years has been a thousand forty three yards seven touchdowns that's a solid wide receiver too when you're looking at touchdowns I mean you know six touchdowns last year he's only had one season with more than six touchdowns in the last four years here, there's just a lot of a lot of red flags to me. And the potential that he could get traded is still there over the next week or so, or even the first half of the season, you know, if they like what they're seeing from the rookies. So, you know, there's a lot of talk right now that, that Jadavion Clowney could be going to the Eagles. You know, the Eagles and the Seahawks and the Dolphins have all been in the mix. You wonder, apparently the Texans were looking for a receiver. I'm not... Totally sure why, because I, I kind of like their top three, <laughs> unless Kiki Cootie's injury is worse than we we realize. But um, if they are looking for a receiver back, it's possible that, you know, with the guys they have there now, if they think that Ortega Whiteside can step up eventually into that role, 
maybe Jeffrey's going to be the guy that, that starts to take a backseat a little bit. All right, Justin, who do you have next for us? All right, I'm going to switch to a different position. Uh, let's go with running back here. And I wonder, this is one of the first guys that I wonder if he's going to be on all of our lists because Matt Breda. How do you leave your draft without taking Matt Breda at this point? If you can get him where he's being drafted right now, which is in the eighth round, that is one of the biggest steals of the draft, in my opinion. I'd be willing to take him in like the, the seventh, maybe even the sixth, if I was thin at running back coming out of those those top rounds. Because I just see a situation here. I don't even think he needs to take the top job, but I think it's definitely possible that that could happen this season. Mm-hmm. But when you're looking for for value at running back, it really dries up when you're talking about guys that have guaranteed volume. It dries up around the fourth round or so. Maybe you could get Tevin Coleman in the fifth. You know, some of those guys. Then you're taking chances on guys like Austin Eckler, Duke Johnson, who we think is going to get the volume. But that's another team that they could bring somebody else in at some point here, right? They could trade for someone or or grab one of the guys that get cut uh, this weekend. So when you're looking at that 49ers offense, unbelievably productive rushing attack. And really, we have to look at it's a Kyle Shanahan running game. We know that they are always productive. And then I don't want to say anything negative here about Jarek McKinnon, but seems like he had another setback here. I think his season is kind of in doubt at this point, right? Like, can we really expect that he's going to be back at any point this year? So then that puts Breda right into that number two role. And if, you know, they're talking about they want sort of that Devonta Freeman, Tevin Coleman mix like Shanahan had in Atlanta. Now you're going to get a situation where Breda is going to get I would think probably at least 40% of the touches in that backfield. If you're looking like a 60-40 split, something like that with him and Coleman. So we saw him do it last year. You know, he was supposed to split time with Alfred Morris after, you know, uh, McKinnon got injured. And then what happened? Breda rose to the top of that backfield. He had all those injuries. He played through them and he put up good numbers. 814 rushing yards, 216 receiving yards, had five touchdowns. He can produce it. Like he really can. And he's got big playability. He had 10 yards or more on 16 of his 68 outside runs last year. Uh, That was according to Niners Nation. And yards per carry isn't a great stat. It's not very good at all. But when a guy averages over five yards per carry, that tells you a little bit of something. You could take that away as, you know what, I think this player is is decent at the running back position. So if Shanahan wants to create that one-two dynamic there, Breda's going to play that secondary role and has a chance to eventually emerge as the lead back. And I want a piece of, uh, we're going to, it's going to be a common theme here. We're probably talking about, but you want a piece of good passing offenses. You want a piece of good rushing offenses. And the 49ers have a very good rushing offense. And Breda is an absolute steal uh, at that range of the draft. Extremely efficient, great rushing offense, fastest ball carrier in the NFL last year, if you guys can believe it. Another guy that ECR has at least a full round above ADP. Now, Tags, would you rather have Matt Breda or would you rather have Darwin Thompson? Oh, that's because I'm not getting Brita because I'm I'm reaching for Thompson. Man, this this again. This comes down to who, what you want. If you're looking for someone, is like you play in a, a league where you start multiple flexes. I think Matt Brita can offer uh, weekly potential, starting potential. But if you're shooting for the like, if you're just like this guy's gonna be on my bench, I'm not gonna start him because I have studs in my running back slots. I'm just looking for upside. Darwin Thompson. I think Darwin Thompson's a league winner. I think Matt Brita is a great value. I'd prefer Thompson just by a little bit. 
Justin, I think Breed is a great call. Now we're going to move on, and I've got another running back. It's Melvin Gordon. I know you guys talked about him on yesterday's show a lot, but for those of you who aren't paying attention, there's some rumors out there that he's going to play. I don't know if you guys saw Melvin Gordon tweeting at somebody who was talking about him in fantasy that he went in the sixth round of his draft, and Melvin Gordon felt so disrespected. I think he's going to play, guys. You know, what would you say the odds are? Like an 80% chance that he plays at least 12 games, Justin? I don't know that I would put it that high. And even when you're talking about the the reports that were out there, I think some of them were debunked just by the the fact that the the writer, who I believe was Eric Williams of ESPN, he said it was more just him speculating. I'm pretty sure that's what came out after. So I'm not that confident. Even before those reports, I mean, the historical precedent of running backs saying they're going to hold out, how long do they on average hold out? Like two games? And then we saw the Bell one just smack Bell in the face last year. He missed out on $30 million. Gordon's camp has to be looking at this and just saying, man, that was a huge failure last year. We're not letting that happen to us. Well, I agree with you that there's a bit of recency bias that everyone's very scared by the Le'Veon Bell thing. But I also think it's worth noting at this point that we're a week, less than a week away from from the kickoff of the season. And neither of these guys, neither Melvin Gordon or Ezekiel Elliott are with their teams right now. So there has to be some genuine concern. I've always thought that Melvin Gordon's in a situation where, uh, well, let's go Zeke first. With, with the Cowboys, I think it's always kind of seemed like they're going to give him a pretty good contract. They're probably going to end up making a deal at some point here, whether it's before week one or a week or two into the season. Seems like that one's going to get settled. The Cowboys need him in that offense. So I'm not as concerned about him. I haven't moved him down very much in my rankings. With Gordon, though, it seems like he might be a little delusional. And I don't mean to be rude about about his situation at all or his talent because he's a very good running back. But he seems to want to be paid like a top guy, they are not offering him that kind of money. And we have last year him on video saying that if he was in that Le'Veon Bell situation, he would do the same thing. So I'm not so sure that they're going to be able to meet at any point on that one, just because I think he's valuing himself very highly. And I don't know that the Chargers need him maybe as much as the Cowboys do. Prior to his Week 11 injury, Melvin Gordon had 1,189 total yards, 11 touchdowns in 9 games, full season pace, 2,113 total yards, 19 scores, 373 fantasy points, which would have been the number one running back by 30-plus points. This is someone you can get in the fourth round in a lot of cases. Tags, if his holdout ends tomorrow, where are you drafting him? If it holds out tomorrow, I would draft him uh, fourth overall because Zeke isn't hasn't showed up, so I would take him in front. So you're taking him over David Johnson? I would take him over David Johnson, yes. Wow. I would say the exact same thing, yeah. I think, too, with those guys, with Zeke, you can get him in the first round, and then you can come back and get Tony Pollard, and I'm not sure what his ADP is rising, so at this point, I don't know if it's 8th, ninth, 10th round, but around that range, where with Gordon, you can't really handcuff him. If you end up taking him in the 4th, you're going to have to come right back and get Eckler in like the 5th the or maybe 6th round, so it's a heavier price to pay to try to lock up that Chargers backfield. Yeah, I don't care about locking it up. I'm going for the upside. I believe Melvin Gordon's <laughs> going to play at least 12 games. And if he does, I've got myself a top end RB1. All right, before we get to Justin's next pick, I want to tell you about another one of the sponsors of today's show, Sideboss. Hey, fantasy football fans, listen up. Sideboss is offering a free-to-play season-long NFL handicapping contest with $50,000 in cash prizes. You pick five games per week for 17 weeks and earn your title as the boss. With a $15,000 grand prize, Sideboss will be awarding quarterly and weekly prizes throughout the season. Any week in the NFL, you can go 5-0, you win some dough. 
If you haven't ever participated in the handicapping contest before, now's your chance to be rewarded and earn the title of Donkey Boss with a last place prize of a thousand bucks. In addition to our free to play pick'em contest, Sideboss will also be offering pay to play games throughout the season. Go to sideboss.com, click to play the 2019 Pro Football Pick'em Contest, and enter promo code Fantasy Pros all one word upon sign up. That's sideboss.com promo code Fantasy Pros. Justin, why don't you give us your next two names at the same time? I'm going to go a little higher up the list. Uh, You know, we're talking about these guys like Melvin Gordon and stuff. I'm going to go a little higher up the list. Aaron Jones is one of them. and Tags loves that. And Mark Ingram is the other. And we can package them together like this. I don't understand how these guys aren't getting more hype this season at all. Like, maybe it's because the fantasy community has just been touting Aaron Jones for so long that we're all just expecting, well, this is going to be the year. We don't even have to talk about it, I suppose. But when you're looking at the third round, you know, I get why Chris Carson's getting a lot of hype, and he should be. He's another player I like. I get why Carrion Johnson's gotten a lot of hype. I went and traded for him in our Dynasty League. I still really like Carrion. I think he's an excellent player. But how come Jones isn't getting talked up? Jones, to me, of those guys, his ceiling is top five. He could be a guy who could be a top five back. He's been that talented. We've seen it from him so far. We just haven't seen it over a full season. And maybe maybe we've completely beat this to death, and maybe that's the problem here. But recently, I saw a stat from NFL Next Gen Stats that Jones ranked third among all running backs in yards gained after closing. That's a measurement. So they measure when a defender gets in within one yard of the ball carrier. That tells you that he is tough to tackle folks. One of the toughest out there. And I think with Jones, it's, it's the eye test with him, right? When you watch him play, he looks like one of the best running backs in the league. And I know that, you know, tags probably hates that because I feel like tags is always, you know, has a number and a stat to back everything up. But but come on, like Aaron Jones, when you watch him play ever since he got into the league, he has appeared to be one of the best running backs out there. So with this Green Bay offense now, uh, you know, hopefully getting a breath of life with the new coaching staff in here, uh, hopefully Matt LaFleur learned his lesson when you have a good running back, just feed that running back the ball like happened to them late last season in Tennessee uh, with Derrick Henry. I think after they fizzled out under McCarthy, we're going to see the players a little more energized this season. And I do think that there, there's a solid chance that Aaron Jones ends up as a top 10 back and maybe even a top five back. And I'll quickly go into uh, Mark Ingram here as well. Ingram's even more surprising to me because where Jones, you're going to have to spend a third round pick to get him. Uh, Ingram is going in like the fifth, maybe the late fourth round. I would take him as early as the third round, I think, at this point, right around that Chris Carson range. Justin, I, I don't want to cut you off, but so to me, Alshon Jeffrey is the wide receiver version of Mark Ingram. And I, I view them both like I'll take Ingram as a value. It's the same way the reason I'll take Jeffrey as a value. I think with with Ingram, t- to me, it's that we saw Gus Edwards last year. Once Lamar Jackson took over, and Tags, we might even talked about this. I had you on the podcast a week or two ago. We talked about running backs. Gus Edwards last year, after Lamar Jackson took over, was the RB11 in standard leagues the rest of the way, the RB18 in PPR leagues. Well, they ran the ball 45 <laughs> times a game. That's going to come down. The next most in football in that time was 32. If Even if they run the ball 34, 35 times... That's going to come down, and they drafted Justice Hill, who looks phenomenal. Well, that's part of this as well. I'm cheating a little bit because I was going to mention that Justice Hill is also on my list. I want both those guys in this draft. But yeah, when we're talking about investing in uh, solid backfields, we know once Lamar Jackson took over, 
they led the league in rushes, right? That They're going to be right up there again this year, even if it's not as much as it was last season. But also, it's not just apples to apples. We're talking about Gus Edwards and Mark Ingram, right? Mark Ingram is a much better running back. He can run a similar style, that sort of north to sell style, but he can also catch passes. And those numbers that I mentioned with Gus Edwards, he he saw one target during those games and he was still the <laughs> RB18 in PPR, right? So I definitely think uh, that Ingram is going to get even a little bit more passing work than that. And I know I might've mentioned this when tags on the podcast, but it's kind of a funny thing to bring up, but the Ravens put out a promotional video at one point in the off season, and it was just the players in practice and it was during OTAs. And several times during the video, they showed Mark Ingram catching, catching passes, even one downfield. So that gives me a little bit of hope that maybe they realize they got to get the ball to their running backs a little more in the passing game, that a little more efficient to do that. And we know that Mark Ingram can catch passes. You know, he had, uh, he's had at least uh, 46 receptions in three straight seasons prior to 2018 there where it was only because it was shortened by the suspension there. And the Saints offense gets a lot of credit for what Ingram did. Uh, of course, but we've seen him produce in fantasy in the past. He had 250 touches, 1,300 yards from scrimmage, and 10 touchdowns in 2016 and 2017. Comes back after the suspension last year. Top 20 running back in the last 12 games of the season. And that's he's splitting time with Alvin Kamara. So to me, it just seems like everything about Ingram's situation, aside from his age, I get it. He's getting up there. The drop-off is coming, but I don't think he's there yet. He split time a lot in New Orleans, too, so he didn't really get DeMarco murrayed at any point, right? He didn't have that 400-touch season where we got to worry that the wheels are going to fall off here. So the caveat, like I said, the I would also like to handcuff him or also just get Justice Hill because I think Hill has a chance to also produce in this offense. And this one's got me so excited. I know I'm going off for a while here. It's probably the longest that you guys have gone not talking on the <laughs> podcast here, but there's just enough to... All, all good, man. People want to hear what the most accurate experts think. So bring it on, baby. There is enough to go around in this offense. I really, really like uh, Hill. But when we're talking about last season, looking at it, Gus Edwards and even Kenneth Dixon, when he came back in the last month of the season... They were both pretty productive in fantasy. Dixon had some good moments, scored some touchdowns as well. I think you're just upgrading both of those guys by bringing these two players in now. And Hill's a really nice change of pace back, but he's got so much fight in him too. When you watch his college tape, just constantly battling on every single play. He's Allen Iverson in football. He's awesome. I would say more of, I compared him to be, you know, to be grounded. I, I compared him to like a <laughs> Justin Forsett. I refuse to be grounded on Justice Hill. He would have been my number one. So uh, I'm glad you brought him up. And that's my, that's my hesitation with Mark Ingram is, you know, he's on the wrong side of 30s coming. He was great with the Saints, but Tim Hightower was great with the Saints. This is a much different offense. Now I like Mark Ingram ADP, but I can't be excited about him because of Justice Hill. You know, Justin just mentioned, like, he's like, Mike probably has a stat about backing up things, and I do about Aaron Jones, and the reason that I love him so much. <laughs> so, basically, I did an article this offseason that involved, basically, where every touch, like, every carry, every reception took place on the field. There's an expected fantasy output for every situation. Like, a goal line carry is worth more than a carry on their own 20-yard line. You know, a target, all that stuff. Everywhere on the field, I figure this out. There are only four running backs in the NFL who actually, they totaled more than 40 points more than they were supposed to in fantasy football. Melvin Gordon was one. Todd Gurley was two. Kareem Hunt was three. Aaron Jones was four. By the way, 
it's not just a, a product of the offense either because Jamal Williams scored 17 points fewer than he should have on, on his touches. So it's not just the offense. Aaron Jones is uber talented. He's by far the best there. And even if it is somewhat of a timeshare, like let's let's put that in parentheses, a timeshare. If Aaron Jones is getting 15 touches per week, he's a top 10 running back. So the Green Bay Packers weren't using Aaron Jones as much as I think that they can. He started seven games. In those seven games where he wasn't being used like a bell cow, he had 18.1 half PPR points. Alvin Kamara had 18.2 in that same range. Nick Chubb had 18.5. These are guys going, Alvin Kamara is going first, second, third overall. Nick Chubb's going at the end of the first round. Aaron Jones is going to the third round, guys. Aaron Jones is a good call. Uh, I like the Mark Ingram pick as well. He's a good value, but I'm not excited about him. Tags, why don't you give us two more names, and then we'll go back to Justin for a couple, and I'll give my final one. Yeah, Aaron Jones is on mine. Uh, Chris Carson is one of the names I'll mention. Um, You know, he's been moving up draft boards rapidly. I don't know. I'd like to take credit for that on this podcast, because when we first started talking about Carson, like, in a a big way, uh, Chris Carson was the number 50 overall player being drafted, and now I've seen him going, like, literally the start of the third round. So it's like, you know, he's moving up into that top 30 conversation, which is... I was on Chris Carson before you were tax I was the real reason I was waiting for the injury to settle if, if that that knee scope <laughs> this offseason uh but that him and I'll also mention James White uh especially if you play like a PPR format you know I, I've gone through this so much and I've told people that with Rob Gronkowski retiring it's bigger than you think and I understand Josh Gordon coming back and you're worried about those targets and and how is he going to get all those targets Mike well wide receiver targets and running back targets are completely different things however running back and tight end targets correlate so when you lose Gronk it's it's made a big difference it's not just one year either so over the the course of like the last I think it's five years I looked at James White saw an average of 7.7 targets per game compared to 5.3 targets when Gronk was in the lineup so he's always been better when Gronk's been out when Gronk's been out people have played James White in DFS like every single week so now that Rob Gronkowski is actually off the team why are people not moving James White up their draft board I, I really don't understand it James White was really good with Josh Gordon there too everyone's worried about about Josh Gordon, but James White was still great. That's what I'm saying. It's just like, understand that if you get White as your RB3, consider yourself winning. I agree with that. Yeah, you just named two guys that I like a lot. Justin, what do you think about these guys? I think with Chris Carson, one of the things that he makes me feel is that I really wish that all my drafts were in the spring and summer because, yeah, this time of year, I mean... The idea that he was going to catch more passes this season was obvious after Mike Davis left. Rashad Penny's just not a great receiver. It wasn't going to be him playing that role. So Carson was going to step up into that position. And now, obviously, you know, in the last couple of weeks, it comes out, well, yeah, Chris Carson's definitely going to catch more passes. Now, you know, everybody knows the cat's out of the bag here. So, yeah, I'm with you guys. I was high on him, uh, you know, dating back to the offseason, and I think he's a great pick. It's nice to finally see him being valued where he should be, even if I'm not getting the value in in drafts that I was before. Um, And James White. Yeah, I just want to say this really quick before we get to James White, Justin, about Chris Carson. So you have to go all the way back to ADP 77, Allen Robinson, to get to somebody that the ECR values 10 picks above ADP. Chris Carson is 10 picks above ADP at ADP 35. ECR has him at 25 overall, running back 14. I hate that it's come up that far because I've got him at RB 13. I thought I was super high on him, but the analysts are so much higher on Chris Carson than ADP that I'll be getting plenty of shares of Chris Carson. And the other guy right there, Sony Michelle, is nine spots higher than ADP. So Chris Carson, Sony Michelle in the fourth and fifth round, even in the third and fourth, I feel great about that with my RB2 and RB3. And for James White, the thing is just the Patriots receiving weapons this year, right? Like Tags nailed it. You have Julian Edelman, who we think is going to be healthy to, to start the year now. You have Josh Gordon. 
And then I'm not really sure what you have there. You don't really have anything at tight end. You don't really have anything else at receiver. We don't know if Sony Michelle's much of a, a pass catcher. They're talking about trying to get him more involved in the, the receiving game. But James White is going to have a big role. Brady trusts him uh, absolutely in PPR. You want to get him. He, he might lead the team in targets. All right, Justin, we'll go back to you for two more, and then I'll take my two, and you can give us your final name. I know we've talked about so many receivers so far, but I got to mention a couple more guys. They're they're higher up the board. Uh, Tyler Lockett is one of them. Oh, no. It, why? No, no, <laughs> as in you don't like it, or oh, no, as in you have him on your list as well? No, no, I don't I don't see him getting 100 targets. That's just not who he is. The most targets he's ever had in a season was 4.4. Even when Doug Baldwin was out last year, Brandon Marshall led the team in targets. And then it was, you know, he was out one more game when Brandon Marshall wasn't on the team. And it was David Moore who led the team in targets. I just don't think he's can be that wide receiver one. I'm sorry for stealing your thunder. Go on. It's all right. No, I mean, we just talked about the the Patriots not having enough pass catching weapons. Who do the Seahawks have right now, right? If Doug Baldwin's... David Moore's hurt. DK Metcalf is hurt. Yeah. Exactly. All these guys are hurt. And maybe you like Jerron Brown. I think he's going to be a pretty good, you know, DFS play week one, I suppose. And, you know, I think I picked him up in our dynasty league, maybe throw him in a flex spot. But looking at that offense right now, Lockett's the only guy. I don't really love the tight ends that they have in Seattle either. So we saw him just be unbelievably efficient last season. And we expect that efficiency to come down again. But I do think that he's going to make up for it by getting way more volume. And last year, Pro Football Focus, he, they gave him the 13th best receiving grade amongst wide receivers. I know a lot of guys have been on him. Uh, you know, Matt Harmon, who does reception perception, talked about Lockett a couple years ago as, you know, the next breakout guy, sort of his his next Allen Robinson, who he hit on back in the day. And it took a little longer than expected, but Lockett's got there. So uh, he's a guy that, you know, you want a receiver to be attached to a good quarterback. Russell Wilson, obviously one of the best in the game. So I'm willing to take Lockett in the fourth as my wide receiver one. That's how confident I feel in him. Wow. I'm willing to go, you know, grab a couple running backs, maybe even a tight end early, come back, get Lockett, and then take advantage of that receiver value uh, that's in, you know, like I mentioned earlier, the fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh rounds. And that's where the other guy that I'm going to talk about is going right now. It's D.D. Westbrook. And there's a lot of people that don't want to invest in the Jaguars passing game. I totally understand that. You know, last year, another guy that was catching passes from Blake Bortles, and I've, you know, kind of just given Blake Bortles a hard time, even though he's not someone we're talking about today. But uh, Westbrook still even catching passes from Bortles had 66 receptions, 717 yards and five touchdowns last year, led the Jags in targets, doesn't have much competition this season to you know overtake him in that area at all. Fools excels at throwing to the short intermediate range of the field. That's where Westbrook, you know, makes his most visible mark. Uh, on the game, scored all five of his touchdowns last year from the slot. And offensive coordinator John DeFilippo has a history with Foles dating back to their time with the Eagles. And DeFilippo also, you know, loves to make good use of his slot receivers. Uh, Nelson Aguilar, uh, Adam Thielen, both those guys had career years uh, playing for DeFilippo offenses. So in the preseason, we see Westbrook come out, get seven of the 10 targets that Nick Foles throws I think the other three went to Leonard Fournette. So we're probably going to see that spread out a little more in the receiving core, I would think. But it's another sign that Westbrook's going to be a focal point of this passing game here. And even in a low volume passing attack, I think he's got a shot at pretty big target numbers in that offense. So he could be a wide receiver three in my mind. I'd be willing to start him week one 
as a wide receiver three in my offense. And you can get him right now in the seventh. He's moving up, so it might take a six-round pick, but I'm pretty sure his ADP is around the seventh round right now. I know people want to be excited about Nick Foles because he won the Super Bowl MVP and everything like that. And people from Philadelphia probably hate me at this point. But, you know, I'm a I'm a Jags fan. And you can go back and you can look since the Chip Kelly year when he threw 27 touchdowns and two interceptions. Nick Foles has not been very good. He's played two seasons worth of pass attempts. And in that time, he's got 35 touchdowns, so 17 per season, 26 interceptions, 13 per season. He's got fewer yards per attempt than Blake Bortles did. I don't think this is an upgrade from Blake Bortles, and Blake Bortles ran the ball as well. Now, in terms of real-life football player, yeah, I think Nick, Nick Foles is better. But in terms of fantasy production, I think that D.D. Westbrook's kind of capped at what he did last season. And last season, I, Tags, you've talked about this before, uh, last season he was like a fringe RB3, right? He well, he wasn't even a wide receiver three. Like honestly, Mohamed Sanu was a better fantasy option last year than D.D. Westbrook on a weekly basis, and and he led the team in everything. D.D. Westbrook was the number one. He had over 100 targets last year, so it's not like he was like, oh, his role's gonna grow. Like we're, we're talking about Tyler Lockett. Lockett, I could see you're tying yourself to an elite quarterback. You're hoping for that increase in targets. I think you're gonna be let down if you're looking for wide receiver one numbers. But I understand the point with Tyler Lockett. I really do. Like trying to to expect him his role to grow and you know playing again. With with Russell Wilson, but D.D. Westbrook is in the Jags offense playing with Nick Foles. I, I don't want to tie myself to that, unfortunately. I think D.D. Westbrook is actually a really good football player. I don't know if people have lost that in translation to me hating on D.D. Westbrook. I love watching him. But basically, I just feel like he's being misused. I think he's mis- been miscast. He's not Zay Jones. He's not Nelson Aguilar, where he can only play in the slot and he can't win on the perimeter. He's fast, and they don't use him in a downfield role at all. I don't know why he's trapped in this, like in this role that they have for him. I don't think he's built to withstand massive hits over the middle of the field. And we saw one, by the way, the other week in the preseason. I was surprised to see him get up from it because he got jacked, like literally leveled. I think I don't yeah. know if it was a linebacker he's or safety, safety. I can't remember, but um, it was a big hit. And I, I, I worry a little bit about him like Deshaun Jackson, like earlier in his career where Deshaun Jackson was used in the slot uh, quite a bit, actually, during his time with the Eagles. And then he took like a few massive hits. I remember the one really bad one um, where it's like he didn't want to play in the slot after that. And I just don't want that to happen. D.D. Westbrook, I he's dealing with a groin injury right now, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. And, and my other guy that I don't like is Robbie Anderson, who's dealing with a calf injury. So. That one does scare me a little bit. And I will say one thing we can agree on is I also don't really think Nick Foles is going to be that great. I just think what he's replacing there was also maybe even worse in Blake Bortles. So I think you're either going to get the same or maybe a slight uptick from the quarterback position there. That's absolutely fair. I like to watch D.D. Westbrook play, but right now he's going over guys like Sammy Watkins, Marvin Jones, Corey Davis. Uh, Curtis Samuel, Larry Fitzgerald. I I can't take him over any of those guys. Um, But the thing is, we've had a lot of very talented analysts come on over the past two weeks, and every one of them has said D.D. Westbrook. So, you know, I have been sliding him up my board. I just, at at this point, I can't call him a target. No, I definitely, like, that's one thing I've had to take into consideration because there are a lot of smart people that are on to him. It's just, I'm I'm struggling to find the the reason to move him up, like, past beyond. Like, I think I have him, I've moved him up my board, like, from, like, wide receiver 45 to, like, I think I'm at wide receiver 38 now. But I don't want to, I don't want to trust him as an every week wide receiver three. If I can get him as a wide receiver four, that's fine. Yeah, that's fine with me as well. And I want to go back to Tyler Lockett really quick. So Justin, you mentioned he's going to see an improvement in targets. I would agree with that. Last year, he had 16% target share. What do you think he's going to have this year? 
I don't have my projections in front of me right now, but I do think that he had 16 last year. I think there's a good chance that he could be around the 20 range this season or even higher than that. And just partially because I don't trust anyone else in that receiving game. Uh, it's that's to me, what it comes down to is he's the clear best receiver on that team. I'm not a big DK Metcalf guy, even once he gets healthy. So I think they're going to find ways to get lock at the ball. And now he's going to be playing primarily from the slot here. So to me, everything about him seems to be pointing up in that offense, aside from the fact that he is playing in an offense that we project to be a run first offense, whether they can continue that based on the changes they've had on defense, whether they you know, are trailing in more games this season and then whether they're going to have to throw more, that also could be a possibility. The Seahawks threw the ball 427 times. 20% target share puts him at 85 targets. Let's say, let's say Russell Wilson throws the ball 500 times this year. I mean, that's a humongous upgrade. Then we're looking at 100 targets. Corey Davis is going to get 125 targets, and he's going four rounds after Tyler Lockett. Now, I understand Lockett's the better football player. He's with a better quarterback, but 25 targets, that's a big deal. And I think that's the upside for Lockett. And I think that Corey Davis could get 130, 140 targets in this offense. He had a 26% target cheer last year. The Titans are going to be playing from behind a lot more than they were last year. Marcus Moretto was hurt last year. I think that all signs are pointing north for Corey Davis getting 130 targets. And Tyler Lockett, we're hoping he gets to 100. All right. So you made me, during that time, you made me pull up my projections here. (laughs) I have, uh, see, I only have him at 101 targets, but 71 receptions, just over 1,000 yards. How, How many touchdowns? And six touchdowns I have him for. So that, that puts him right in that range around that, you know, I'm not ranking him as a a number one receiver here as a a top 12 receiver. I'm just saying, I think that's within his range of outcomes. And that means you've got great running back. So I'm okay with taking a guy who's, you know, a wide receiver two as your wide receiver one. Well, and like Tags is saying with Westbrook, right? If you're getting Westbrook in the seventh round, he's definitely your wide receiver four, unless you took, you know, several running backs off the top, you know, you take a couple running backs, maybe take three running backs and a tight end up there he's probably still going to be your wide receiver four at that point. So uh, in that range, there's just so much value. If I have to, you know, give people one piece of advice this year about drafts, it's try to come away with some of the receivers in that range of the draft because there's so much value there. I agree with that. Yep, I agree with that. And I have moved Lockett up. He was at 33 before the David Moore and DK Metcalf injury. Now I've got him at 28 behind guys like T.Y. Hilton, Josh Gordon, Allen Robinson. And I've already mentioned Corey Davis, who I know I'm extremely high on, but I believe in the target share. Now I'm going to give my next two guys, and uh, I was going to mention Justice Hill. We've talked about him quite a bit on this show already and every other show. He's my number one must-have guy. Tags agrees on Justice Hill. Justin agrees on Justice Hill. Everyone I've talked to agrees on Justice Hill. Go get him in the 11th, 12th round. Uh, the two that I want to end with, though, and we'll go back to Justin for his final guy, Darwin Thompson. Tags, you already talked about him, and uh, so I'm not going to get into it too much more. It's just that Damian Williams, I'm not sure how much of a workload he can handle. And Damian Williams was horrible with the Dolphins. The Dolphins didn't even want him. Anyone can succeed in Andy Reid's offense. And I think that with Darwin Thompson getting some touches, he's going to because Damian Williams can't handle 18, 20, 22 touches a game. He's probably going to be stuck at 15 or 16. Thompson's going to be in the field. I think there's going to be a stark contrast in the difference in talent, and I think Thompson takes over this job. He could be a league winner. And then finally, 
Latavius Murray taking over from Mark Ingram's role. Mark Ingram was getting a ton of touchdowns, and Latavius Murray's been the best goal linebacker in football over the last three seasons. He can catch the ball, too. He had 40-plus receptions back in the day with the Oakland Raiders. I think they're going to use him more in that role in New Orleans here. And think about it this way. Mark Ingram was being drafted in the top 50 picks last year, even though he had a four-game suspension. Murray goes right into his role. He's being drafted 50 spots lower. I, I don't understand that, Justin. I'm with you there. I'm with you on all those guys. Uh, Murray, extremely undervalued. And, you know, the preseason isn't necessarily going to be completely indicative of what's going to happen in the regular season, but they were using him quite a bit with that first team offense. So you have to think that he's going to step right into that role. Uh, Really, really like Murray. If, you know, if you are, and I haven't really been this year, but if you are kind of passing on running back early and then you're going, whether it's zero RB or, you know, whether you're just looking to fill that RB two spot a little later in the draft, he's somebody that I'm targeting. Yeah, he's a great RB3 as well. I mean, if you can get him in the eighth round, you've got your tight end there, maybe Hunter Henry, OJ Howard, uh, Travis Kelsey, and then you've got four great running backs. You wait on quarterback. I like that team a lot. Tags, where do you have Latavius Murray? Are you taking him over Mark Ingram, James White? No, I would not take him over those guys. Um, I have him just after that tier, actually. I have him as RB26 to 28, that tier, um, where it's like with, with Philip Lindsay, guys like that. All right, you know, I said we're going to have one more from Justin. Tags, we got to get one more name from you, man. Who do you have? Oh, you don't have to get one more from me. Nobody's, not everybody's going to have a chance to draft this individual, but I, I've been saying it and I'm sticking with it. Outside of Aaron Jones, my other guy is Odell Beckham, where it's like, if you can get Odell Beckham, like I saw someone the other day get him in the uh, pick number 15 or 16. I was like, guys, because I had a pick. I happen to have the number one pick in the draft because I'm not letting Beckham fall there. If you get Beckham at the end of the first, you're just winning. We'll just leave it at that. Justin, what, what do you think? If Odell Beckham plays 16 games... How many yards are we getting? 1,600? Very possible. I think now that he's attached to Baker Mayfield, he could be the number one wide receiver in fantasy this year. I have him as my wide receiver three right now, just behind Adams and Hopkins. I'm right with tags on that. And the bigger thing here, too, for Beckham, it's just going to be fun to own him. Every year, I kind of mention players that are just going to be fun to own in fantasy. Last year, I talked about Deshaun Watson being someone that you're just going to have a good time watching football every week if he's your quarterback. Guess what? If Odell Beckham's on your fantasy team, it's going to be a very enjoyable experience this season, barring any injuries. Unless he's unless he's got a soft tissue injury, which seems to happen every... That's why I don't have him number one. It's because I'm worried about that. Yeah, I mean, that could happen with any player, though, right? Julio was that guy. People like were afraid to draft Julio because he had injuries. and He's been so durable, though. Julio's missed like three games in four years. No, he's been good the last couple of years, but there was a time where people didn't want to draft Julio because of that. So here's the only thing I'm going to say about Odell Beckham. 16-game pace in the 56 career starts that he's had. 109 receptions, 1,585 yards, 12.9 touchdowns with Eli Manning, guys. Holy cow, this guy is absolutely amazing. Justin, let's go for your last name here. I have one more, and it's it's good that I'm on this podcast bringing it up because Tags is going to like it. Because Tags actually swiped this guy from me in our Dynasty draft, uh, rookie draft last year. Tags was picking one spot ahead of me, and he got Anthony Miller before I could get him. Yes, great way to end this must-have show. (laughs) I love this call. And he did, he was mentioned at some point early on, I believe, but he suffered that shoulder injury in week three last year, needed surgery, put the brace on, and just played through it. You gotta love that. And it's not easy to do, right? It's gonna limit his catch radius, all that sort of stuff, so... He was still good last year, though, right? He had seven touchdowns. Uh, You know, the numbers weren't there for the rest of his game. Obviously, he only had 423 yards, 33 catches. But 
we haven't really seen what he can do yet. And he said that much this offseason. He explained how much pain he was in all year and that that shoulder popped out several times again throughout the season. So I expect that offense to keep improving in the second year under Nagy. I think Mitch Trubisky is going to keep making strides. I mean, in the first year under Nagy, we saw Trubisky, all of his statistical categories improve last season. So that's only going to help Miller. And the big thing here is that he's just completely forgotten. And it's probably because the injury, I guess, maybe it's because he has sort of a boring name, right? He doesn't have a Saquon Barkley, Odell Beckham kind of name. Anthony Miller's so boring. But another guy, I mentioned some of those receivers off the top that if you can get them in the late rounds, you toss them on your bench. And let's see, Anthony Miller's a guy that has so much talent, though. He could sneak up into that range. You know, we're talking about the the Mike Williams and those guys all in that range. Miller has the talent to be amongst those guys if we get a healthy season from him. Okay, I've got a stat for you guys here. So Taylor Gabriel played 830 snaps last year. Anthony Miller played 576. I think it's safe to say you can flip those guys this year. And I think Miller's probably going to play even more than that. But if you extrapolate his fantasy point production to Taylor Gabriel's snap count, he had more fantasy points last year than Chris Godwin, Alshon Jeffrey, Larry Fitzgerald. And that was while he was playing injured. He's got a ton of upside. I love this call, Justin. All right, guys, that's all for today's show. Justin, appreciate you coming on. Great stuff, as always. Thanks for having me, guys. Good luck in your fantasy leagues this year. You as well. And I want to say thanks to the sponsors of today's show, Sideboss, where you can use my promo code FANTASYPROS, all one word, at Sideboss.com to click to play the 2019 Pro Football Pick'em Contest. And also NFL Game Pass, where you can get a seven-day free trial of NFL Game Pass at NFL.com slash FANTASYPROS. And then finally, if you're wanting to play some best ball, finally get in on this. They've got the $3.5 million best ball championship on draft. Just search draft in the app or play store or go to draft.com and enter the promo code FANTASYPROS for your free shot at a million dollars. For Justin Boone and Mike Tagliere, I'm Bobby Sylvester. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your football. I just wanted you to watch me dissolve.